Well, I'm in over my head. No one told me. Trying to keep my footprint small was harder than I thought it could be. I'm in over my head. What do I really need? Trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me? Trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me? Welcome to In Over My Head. I'm Michael Bartz. My guest today is Dr. Nirmal Nanapragasan. Nirmal is a senior process and modeling scientist for the Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, and his areas of expertise include hydrogen and electricity infrastructure assessment and planning. Welcome to In Over My Head, Dr. Nanapragasan. How are you, Mike? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I brought you on to talk about rail travel and its role in sustainable transportation. With the vast distances between cities, traveling in Canada often means driving or flying. And I'm wondering if rail travel is a more environmentally friendly way to get places and how it fits into the larger picture of sustainable transportation. So to begin with, how does rail travel compare to other forms of transportation when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions? Being a mass transit system, especially for the transport of passengers, rail can definitely contribute to reducing greenhouse gas footprint, especially the per capita footprint can be reduced. If you take urban centers in Canada, especially Toronto, the greater Toronto area, or the uh, Montreal or Vancouver, uh, trains have always shown that more people can be transported with the same amount of fuel uh, because when they design the trains, they take into consideration all that aspect. So rather than using your cars and, and personal vehicles, trains can help reduce greenhouse gas emissions significantly. But in terms of the statistics currently, it, it contributes to about 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions for whole of Canada. Within the passenger traffic uh, or transport mode, rail contribution is significantly lower compared with other modes of transport, and that tells you a picture of where Canada is at the moment. So the rail passenger count is much smaller than other modes of transport uh, in Canada. Yeah, so 1% or, or less than 1% for personal travel, that's, that's a lot lower than maybe I thought it might have been. With that, I'm assuming that's just because more people get around in cars or they fly or as opposed to taking a, a, a train? Yeah. Uh, so with, within the passenger transport mode, yes. So one per, less than 1% per rail is, is very small. And that tells us that uh, more people are using personal vehicles. Uh, I'm not sure. Of, uh, I, I don't have the number on top of me for air travel, but it could be significant for passenger transport. On the other hand, rail is about 10% of freight traffic in Canada. So that tells you that currently rail is more used for freight than passenger movement. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty obvious to anyone who, who lives in Canada that a lot of the trains are being used for freight as opposed to personal travel. Especially here in the West, people don't travel by rail to get between cities. Do you see that changing in the future? It could, depending on how uh, the, the government sort of try to entice passengers to come on board. And I think the younger generation is very keen on environmental impacts to the planet. And, and if they take that to a personal level and say, I want to contribute to reducing emissions, taking public transport is your easiest and first step you can do to minimize your greenhouse footprint. And if you're living in cities, you're probably already doing it by taking subways or other, other buses and other modes of transport. But if you're living in the suburbs and if you're using personal vehicles, you could still think about shifting to rail in the future. And one of the implications there is currently they're using fossil fuels for all modes of transport. 
going forward in the future when we start using electricity through batteries or hydrogen or other means the effort and the the natural resources used in generating clean electricity is going to sort of be a driver for requesting people to move into more of public transport and more efficiency aspect and the reason is currently the fossil fuels are very low cost because it's produced in large quantities and there's a huge infrastructure available but if you look at the clean electricity grids across the country in each province the, the, the electricity price is sort of higher for cleaner grids because it takes that much investment to generate clean and electricity at least currently in the future the clean electricity prices will go down as the technologies evolve as there is more adoption and all the clean transportation uh, modes whether it's passenger vehicles in battery cars as well as uh, rail and, and aviation they will all depend on electricity as the main driver to make these fuels uh, and then that will help us switch away from the fossil carbon fuels with that context in the future people will be motivated to use public transport especially rail because that improves the overall efficiency of the transport system and by not using your personal vehicles you are allowing that extra electricity available for rail and other other modes of transport that are much needed and of course when we're talking about electricity in the grid it's, it's also where we get those power sources from right so and here in Alberta, we're mostly powered by coal, so the electricity is coming from coal. So if that's changing, then definitely those um, electrical forms of transportation will be more environmentally friendly. Uh, currently, your, your uh, vehicles are using fossil fuels, um, or they're, they're using the end products of fossil fuels, and that's the driver. So in the future, uh, electricity will be the main driver for some of these transport options. Mm-hmm. And Speaking about those more sustainable forms of of fuel, your work involves research in hydrogen power, and some trains are being powered by hydrogen, and this is being advertised as a a greener alternative. So tell me more about how hydrogen can power a train. Right. So if you are aware of the current propulsion systems on board trains, diesel is used as the, it's used as a fuel on an onboard generator and the onboard generator generates electricity, and the electricity drives the propulsion motors in the locomotive. So with hydrogen, we would replace that diesel generator with a hydrogen fuel cell. And the fuel cell is the electrochemical cell. It doesn't have any moving components. You send hydrogen and air as the feed. They both react, and there's electricity produced as a result. And so the electricity is now sent through, again, some smaller batteries for buffering the power, and the batteries supply the electricity to the action motors. And the byproduct from the fuel cells is water, because hydrogen combines with oxygen in the air and forms water. So the, the hydrogen itself, the greener hydrogen at least, it's made from water, and at the fuel cells, you are getting that water back. So that's what makes hydrogen more attractive for the industry because from a resource standpoint, water is the main feedstock apart from electricity, and you get that water back when you start using it in fuel cells. And so we call it the closed cycle fuel system. Your entire feedstock is now recycled, and the only driver within that system is electricity. So the diesel engine is replaced with a hydrogen fuel cell. So that's how a train is powered. 
Mm-hmm. And and so that, that sounds like a, a much more environmentally friendly source of fuel. Does it have the same efficiency and power? Because I know diesel is quite a, an efficient source of fuel. So the, the diesel uh, currently they are used in internal combustion engines. So the efficiency varies between 30 to 35 percent. Uh, so that's what we call the thermal energy, uh, thermal energy conversion efficiency. For fuel cells, uh, you are looking at from 50 to 55 percent um, energy or th- the thermal energy efficiency. But uh, in, because the fuel cells, there is no combustion involved because it's an electrochemical process. Uh, it is much more efficient, and hence it doesn't have the same losses that the internal combustion engines have. So it so it is more um, more efficient, and so. Generally, let's say in Canada, are rail services adopting hydrogen power? Um, so at this point, uh, again, let, maybe I can go back to the study we did in 2018. Metrolinx, which operates the GO trains in Toronto and the Greater Toronto area, they initiated a feasibility study on studying hydrogen as a fuel for their fleet. And uh, there was three companies involved, and one of them is our company. And in that study, we learned quite a bit about what parts of the hydrogen technology is ready for deployment and which ones are not ready. And at that time, in Canada, there were uh, there were no uh, locomotive manufacturers available to uh, get the trains rolling, for example. I think the, the first launch of hydrogen-powered trains was in Germany around that time. So 2018-19, they were uh, trialing that train. They brought in uh, Coradia Island, so that the model is fully run on hydrogen fuel. And uh, currently, it's operational, uh, so it is doing passenger service in Germany. And they are being uh, deployed in uh, other parts of Europe as well. But in Canada, since we completed the study, there was a call for design proposals from, uh, again, Metrolinx. And during that call, unfortunately, there were not sufficiently equal proposals from the hydrogen side. And that's mainly because of lack of locomotive designs available for the power they needed for go trains. And so that that was the state then. And this year, if you are following rail news, at least the Canadian Pacific, they announced a design for a hydrogen fuel locomotive, and they are going ahead with that project. So they will probably demonstrate this locomotive in the next one or two years. And that will be a turning point for Canada because if, when the locomotive is proving that it can do the same level of service uh, that diesel locomotives have been doing, and then they will start inducting more of those engines, and the engine design itself will get involved over the next few generations of design, and then they will be able to make it more of a permanent sort of solution to uh, use hydrogen. And and currently, the status is there are no hydrogen-powered locomotives uh, available to sort of help with this transition in using hydrogen fuel. Okay. And so do you see if this implementation is successful, how long before there is mass adoption? You said, you know, in a few generations, how long is that? Is that 10, 20 years? Uh, No. Yeah. I meant design generation, which which could be even sooner than that. So it depends on the locomotive development cycle. And the generation, what I mean is the fuel cells, for example, there's a Canadian company, Bellard Power Systems uh, in uh, BC. They make fuel cells and each year they evolve their design by improving the efficiency, uh, reducing the cost of their fuel cell tax. 
So those equations will play into the design that Canadian Pacific is developing. And so all the different components of the locomotive will evolve in subsequent years when they move from, say, the demonstration phase to a deployment phase where they actually start using it uh, within their fleet of trains. So it could be less, less than five years. Okay, well, that's, that's sooner than I expected. That's That's good. Yeah. And do you see hydrogen powering all trains in the future? Um, not necessarily. I mean, the again, when I talked about how hydrogen is produced, at least the green hydrogen, you are going from electricity, splitting water in a system called electrolyzer. So in the fuel cell, you send hydrogen and air and you get electricity. In an electrolyzer, you send electricity and water and then the water gets split into hydrogen and oxygen. So the, the green hydrogen, once it's produced, then stored on board the trains, and then the trains use fuel cells uh, to regenerate that power back into the motors. So if you follow the efficiency of this whole cycle, going from splitting water, make the hydrogen, and then reuse the hydrogen on board the trains, there is uh, there's losses at both ends. If you compare that with, say, the overhead capnary system, these are the electric trains that you see most in Europe, but they're also available in Ottawa, the OC Transpo, that have uh, electric wires on top, and there's a pantograph uh, from the train that sort of draws power from those lines. The C train in Calgary, they are also the uh, what they call overhead capnary system. So they are direct electricity fed through the wires, and then they run the traction motors. And so they are much more efficient than hydrogen trains. There is a caveat for the overhead catenary system. It's not very practical for doing that over very long distances because the, the, the capital cost of installing those catenary system is going to be enormous. So hydrogen, on the other hand, you can deploy in modules. If you have the hydrogen locomotive, you can operate a hydrogen train today because you can source the hydrogen from different vendors. It may not be as green as you want in the initial phase, but you can run the trains uh, in a modular approach compared with the overhead system. So hydrogen will not be like powering all the trains. It will probably power the trains that cannot be practically operated with something else. So if you want to replace diesel, there are three alternatives to diesel uh, currently available. One is the overhead capnary system, which I mentioned will be uh, very capital intensive and may not be suitable for very long distances. The second option is hydrogen-powered trains. And the third option is what they call the battery-powered trains. And the batteries, the problem is they are slightly, they are about two times more efficient than hydrogen but they are at least five times smaller in terms of onboard storage density. So that also gives you an, a sense of how much batteries can be used for uh, uh, rail. So when I say storage density, it's how much energy you can store in a given volume of space on board a train or on board any vehicle. And with batteries, you are, you are not going to have enough space for other equipment because of the low, lower energy density uh, for, for batteries. And currently, batteries are also much more expensive than hydrogen equipment. So among the three options, you will see a mix of them. Yeah, and that makes sense. Based on the other conversations I've been having around transportation, it, it seems like one thing isn't the silver bullet for fixing the, the problem. It's, it's usually a variety of things. And that would make sense that within cities, 
if you can just just use electricity to power trains, sure. But if you're going you know, across the country, then it sounds like hydrogen definitely has a role there. I don't know if you can speak to this. If you know anything about biofuels, are those being used with trains? Um, I'm not sure, but they could be uh, if you consider, uh, for example, the gasoline we use most places across Canada. You'll find gasoline with uh, some ethanol mixed to it. You'll also see some engine ratings that can tolerate how much ethanol you can have in the gasoline. So similar blending could happen in the future. That's another option that they will probably start as a sort of a transition phase technology where you start uh, doing blending of fossil diesel with synthetic diesel or biodiesel fuels. And what they'll do is they'll estimate the overall carbon intensity by having the blended fuel, and they'll sort of start moving towards that, especially if their uh, fleet is sort of quite new. Say if, if they purchased a locomotive which is only 10 years old, and if it still has 20 more years of life left in it, they would probably approach this pathway of either having um, blending of fossil diesel with synthetic diesel that's made from uh, various biomass ingredients. That's definitely possible. This is becoming more prevalent in the aviation sector where they are talking about synthetic fuels, especially on the energy storage density discussion that we had before, where having a liquid form helps uh, increasing the energy content per unit volume and uh, the, the synthetic fuels offer that advantage. And so with the synthetic fuels, let's say compared to hydrogen power, if we, if we can compare them, are they as environmentally friendly or should we be focusing more on, on things like hydrogen power? Um, so if you look at the pathway to achieve those synthetic fuels, so we, we call diesel sort of the long chain hydrocarbons. As the name indicates, the diesel is full of hydrogen and carbon molecules. The synthetic fuels are made in a similar fashion. So at the front end of the synthetic fuels, you'll still need clean hydrogen as a, as a main ingredient, as well as what we call renewable or clean carbon, carbon that's not from fossil fuels. So when you mix the hydrogen and carbon, usually in the form of carbon dioxide, you can get several different products. One of the end products is what we call the synthetic diesel, which has similar properties to fossil diesel with slightly lower energy content. But when you use that synthetic diesel, your carbon accounting, so how much greenhouse gas emissions you can sort of estimate from that synthetic diesel will be much lower because you are not using fossil carbon to make that fuel in the first place. In terms of GHG emissions or what we call carbon intensity, the synthetic diesels will be much lower than fossil diesel. It may not be as clean as hydrogen, but because you have that additional advantage of more energy dense than hydrogen, only uh, because you have the carbon now, for the life cycle, the synthetic diesel will have much better carbon intensity than straight hydrogen. And the reason is your carbon intensity for the synthetic diesel is now in the negative numbers. The other way of looking at it is to make synthetic diesel, you can actually capture the carbon from the air uh, using what they call direct air capture. So you are using the carbon that is already a GHG component in the air to make the synthetic fuel. So when you're calculating the carbon intensity, you will actually have negative numbers for the synthetic diesel. 
for hydrogen, the carbon intensity will be zero if you compare, or, or very low uh, if, if your electricity is cleaner to make the hydrogen. For synthetic diesel, your carbon intensity will always be negative because you are reusing the carbon in a more uh, sort of environmentally friendly way. And so do you see those synthetic diesels as, are they using those more in the, the rail industry or is it more hydrogen? Um, at this point, uh, not, both of them are not used uh, like to that extent, The uh, especially in Canada. If you look at Europe, uh, hydrogen is currently being used or at least demonstrations are happening with uh, pure hydrogen as the fuel on board because for, for those projects, they calculate just the tail emissions from the from that particular rail consist only they're not looking into the full system efficiency so when i say full system efficiency what is the source of the electricity uh, the carbon footprint for the electricity and then how is hydrogen produced and distributed to get to the train so the carbon footprint for that set of uh, equipment and then they need to look at the, the rail operations and the footprint for that. So th- those are the different pieces. So if you look at some of these projects, they probably will talk about the, the, the envelope for the carbon accounting. They will be just looking at the rail operations only. There are parallels to other, other modes of transport. I, I think I mentioned this earlier too. So since rail is, again, freight rail is 10% of the transport mode in Canada, the other transport mode that contributes significantly to GHG emissions in Canada will be the, the, the trucks. Even maritime cargo transport is one of the uh, larger contributors. And whatever the technology is, they're all very similarly relevant to each of these transport modes. For example, if Canadian Pacific successfully demonstrates the hydrogen equipment for the locomotives, the same engine, uh, the, the fuel cell uh, configurations, the power modules, they can be sort of translated into these other modes, including, say, Class A trucks, which are on the roads transporting most of the goods across the country, as well as for uh, cargo carriers on board uh, vessels. So, so there are parallel uh, relevance. Again, in the future, it could be hydrogen or hydrogen plus carbon for the synthetic fuels. Those can also be used in different engines. And one of the good things with synthetic diesel, you can use that in existing internal combustion engines. Uh, of course, the efficiency is slightly lower, but uh, you can sort of adapt the transition to this new fuel much sooner than uh, going with pure hydrogen. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you're using those lower emission fuels for trucks and other forms of transportation, then obviously that has a bigger impact than just in one industry, so that's really interesting. Yeah, and one caveat for the the synthetic diesel uh, is you need to find that renewable or non-fossil carbon almost on a continuous basis for the scale of transition we are talking about. So the immediate source for such carbon is the biomass, and the biomass term itself covers a very large variety of things, starting with agricultural waste. It can also include municipal solid waste into that. Uh, cities have plenty of those and, and they sometimes don't know what to do with it. Any organic waste, anything that can decompose uh, and, and generate uh, things like methane, the, all these are sort of feedstock for that, what we call the renewable carbon. And the hydrogen will come from water and then so you blend them together to make the synthetic fuel. So it's, it's uh, 
opportunity, but also there there is a sustainability issue. Like when when we get into the scale of how much diesel we use today in the country. Yeah. So th- so this show is is about empowering citizens to take action on climate change. So in your opinion, with the things we've talked about about technology, whether it's rail or or other transportation and the different fuels. What can people do to make sure that we're adopting those things so that we meet our climate uh, targets? Right. And and again, I think we touched on this earlier too. So if you are living in cities and if you can access public transport, I think people should take that option and use them because every kilometer you use your personal vehicle, you are contributing to the GHG emissions. People might say, yeah, I'm, I'm using a battery-powered vehicle or hydrogen-powered personal vehicle, uh, so I'm environmentally friendly, you need to also remember where your electricity is coming from. If it's coming from fossil fuel-based power plants, then you're not really helping the environment because you're still accessing those electrons made from fossil fuels. So, for example, in provinces like British Columbia, Ontario, Manitoba, Quebec, the electrical grid is almost 100% clean because the electricity comes from hydroelectric renewables or nuclear. So the GHG emissions are already reduced there. So you are using electric vehicles in these provinces. You are already contributing to the uh, reduction uh, in GHG emissions. And I think, I know the pandemic has has created so many challenges and and sort of put our lives upside down. But the positive sides from an environmental perspective is, as as a total population in the country, we are traveling less than what we did prior to the pandemic. So that that itself is showing signs in the sense the environmental impacts have been significantly reduced in the last two years. But we are also ordering things more online. So uh, from a personal aspect, you can also think about, because every time you order, a truck is delivering to your door. The trucks are using fossil fuels. So until we change that aspect, uh, I think people should probably think about maybe you can order together uh, instead of ordering every week. You can combine those orders and order once in a month. These are small little things, but it will definitely help the environment to sort of minimize the amount of movement as a society we have, especially in using fossil fuels. No, that's that's very helpful. Great. So those small little changes can add up, and hopefully we see some of those those bigger changes as well. So I, I think that we'll end it there. So thanks so much for your time, Normal. This has been very informative. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Well, that was my conversation with Dr. Nana Prakasan. Going in, I basically knew nothing about trains or how they were powered, so I definitely learned a lot. Like many other guests, I'm glad he championed public transportation. I hope that one day we'll see more train services offered between Canadian cities. Well, that's all for me. I'm Michael Bartz. Here's to feeling a little less in over our head when it comes to saving the planet. We'll see you again soon. In Over My Head was produced and hosted by Michael Bartz. Original theme song by Gabriel Thane. If you would like to get in touch with us, please email info at eatingovermyheadpodcast.com. Special thanks to Tell a Story Hive for making this show possible. I'm trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me?